Hello, and welcome to Facts Matter, a podcast by Citizens Research Council of Michigan. I'm Lori Higgins, Bureau Chief with Chalkbeat Detroit. I'm a longtime education journalist in Michigan and work for a publication that cares deeply about exposing inequities in education. I'm guest hosting the Facts Matter podcast today for a two-part conversation with Craig Thiel, Research Director at the Council. Craig recently published two research articles about Michigan K-12 schools that caught my attention, issues that are really important but are not getting the kind of attention they deserve in Lansing or elsewhere in Michigan. Craig, today I want to ask you about the first of these two articles, which highlights what you describe as an incoherent way that the state legislators and the governor provided more than $100 million in debt relief to a handful of distressed and or formerly distressed school districts. So first, I want to ask about debt. Many K-12 school districts carry some amount of debt. Can you explain what's different about these districts that receive debt relief? Yeah, thanks for having me, Lori. And yeah, a very important topic for sure. To kind of frame up the issue, the districts that we're talking about are almost all have had some form of financial distress in the recent past. Most of them coming out of the the Great Recession when the state funding for K through 12 was stagnant or declining. Uh, A number of, of these districts were also dealing with declining enrollment and just weren't able to manage their finances during this period. The state stepped in and provided some emergency loans to help them kind of financially cope with the the challenges that they had at the time. And so there were these emergency loans that were offered with repayment schedules of multiple years, 10, 20, 30 years, and districts have been paying those off. Um, When the state provided these loans, they didn't provide any additional resources to repay them. The expectation was that these school districts over time would use a little bit of their operating revenue to pay back the principal and interest on these state loans. And they have been doing that to varying degrees for the last several years. So those are kind of operating debts, I would call them long-term operating debts that the state provided a a mechanism to kind of smooth out the repayment of, of those loans. Then there are debts that voters have approved to build the buildings, improve facilities. Those are capital debts that, again, voters approved and are backed by dedicated millages, taxes that the local taxpayers in those communities pay each year to satisfy the principal and interest payments. And some of the districts that received debt relief were also relieved of these capital debts. So Those are kind of a first budget obligation of those districts in terms of repaying those debts, those bonds that were issued or held by outside creditors of the state, of the school district, I should say, and they were guaranteed to get repaid for for lending these school districts um, money to improve facilities. So the state which was sitting on substantial sums of one-time resources, decided to parcel out some of those resources to repay both these operating debts, largely tied to emergence, past emergency loans, as well as some bonded debts of these districts. Okay. Can you maybe give us a quick overview of who these districts are? Because there are some 
existing districts and a couple of districts that are no longer existing that receive this debt relief. That's one of the issues here. There's not a lot of similarities other than the financial challenges of the past that kind of tie all these districts together. There's a handful of districts that are currently in operation today, Pontiac, for example, and Benton Harbor, the Ypsilanti Community Schools. Those districts are still in operation, educating students, and they were repaying those emergency past emergency loans out of a portion of their operating revenues that they received. Then there's a few districts that, for one reason or the other, have been shuttered and closed, a couple by uh, state action to dissolve the districts and convert them to charter schools. And Muskegon Heights uh, is one of those. Inkster is another school district that was dissolved. And so those districts are in existence purely uh, for purposes of collecting taxes and repaying these debts that the state has picked up. So they aren't in the business of educating students any longer. Those responsibilities have been shifted to other providers, but they do exist as taxing entities, government entities to repay these emergency loans and these bonded debts. Okay, well, maybe this is a good time to talk a little bit about what this debt relief will mean for for these districts, those that are existing and those um, two that um, that were dissolved. So the ones that are existing, again, they were repaying these debts out of their current operating revenues. The debt repayment was 20, 30 years. So just as you pay a mortgage, rather than having to pay it all off in the first five years, you have 20, 30 years to pay it off to kind of smooth out those payments. So Pontiac, for example, was responsible for paying about $100 per student per year towards repayment. Some of the districts were only paying interest only right now. So the principal payments were pushed off to the future. So that made the payments a little less severe in the current here and now. That meant that in the future, those payments would balloon because they would pick up both the, they'd have to pay for both the interest costs as well as the principal costs. So kind of like if you think of a interest only mortgage, you're just paying the uh, a portion of the, the debt early on. So that was going to expand in the future. The districts that uh, were closed, they were actually set up to be to repay these debts out of a portion of the local property tax that would have gone towards paying for their current operations, but because the state stepped in and created uh, charter logistics to provide the services, the state then paid for all of the education services that those districts were incurring. And then that freed up the local operating tax revenue to go towards debt repayment. So those dollars weren't coming out of the classroom. They were coming out of local taxpayers to, to pay for these debts that had been previously approved. Now, the Separate from those two types of repayment are the repayments for the bonded debts. And again, those were dedicated millages of, of you know, varying rates across these districts. And voters were paying those in their annual tax bills. And then those dollars were going to pay for the, the annual interest and in principal on those debts. Okay. Now, this is the second time the state has stepped in and inkster to provide some some form of debt relief. And I'm curious whether or not 
this latest example or this latest debt relief will address all of the debt or if there is still some debt remaining that still needs to be paid off. It appears that this will take care of the the last bit of both the operating debts that the district uh, had on its balance sheet as well as the capital debt. So as a result, the Inkster School District, as we knew it before it was dissolved, will be completely debt-free now. Just as a sidebar, when the Inkster School District was dissolved about a decade ago, the students in the, the geographic area of the district were redistributed to neighboring school districts. So again, the, the Inkster District only existed as a taxing entity to p- repay the debts. And with these debts repaid, um, the Inkster School District, or at least the old version it, of it, will no longer have a reason to exist. Um, it, it also clears a hurdle for the possibility of Inkster School District reconstituting itself uh, as a school district, but that's a completely separate process from this. But it, it does clear a hurdle of, of paying off all the legacy debts for Inkster School District. Okay, so the taxpayers in that in Inkster will now be paying school taxes based on where where they're located. So they may be in the I can't remember the four districts now. I think Westwood, or- Westwood, Wayne Le- Westland, perhaps uh, Romulus, I believe as well. And right, so they've now become taxpayers of those entities and then would be subject to the the levies in those districts once they have uh, approved of being taxed for those purposes, correct? Okay. So they'll still be paying school taxes. It will probably be less than what they have been paying because the levies are smaller. I think I remember reading that in your report. Yeah, so Inkster taxpayers were being assessed 13 mills to repay the capital debts in Inkster. Those rates in Romulus, Taylor, Wayne Westland, and, and Westwood are, are much lower. So they'll, they will be seeing some, some tax relief uh, from, this, from this appropriation. Okay. I do want to get at how the state made decisions on, you know, which districts to provide relief for. But first, I want to ask, you you note in the report that the lack of a cohesive state policy for dealing with school district legacy debt represents a moral hazard. Um, why do you feel that way? Well, we we have a policy for the state stepping in for financial emergencies for when district man- finances are kind of beyond the what appears to be the ability of local decision makers to correct the challenges and the state can provide the loans a set of criteria that, that have to be met there's a state board who has to deliberate to decide you know how much of the loans to provide there's conditions on those loans but in this instance on the flip side of that of repaying these state loans, there's no policy in existence for when the state will step in and help districts repay those loans or absolve them of the responsibility. The state board that issues the loans isn't involved and doesn't have the authority to wipe away the loans. So there's this policy void that is there. So it's really up to the whims of the local, I'm sorry, of the state officials who control the purse strings to decide who's going to get relief and who's not going to get relief. And so 
the moral dilemma here is that it, it somewhat signals to local officials that, you know, don't worry about your finances. The state will, has, will, will step in at some point and absolve you of these financial responsibilities. And we do have a state law that requires all local governments, school districts included, to maintain balanced budgets. There's corrective action plans. And this action kind of works at counter purposes from from that because it's signaling to entities that you can go about not attending to the state law that requires balanced budgets, loan repayments, because at some point the state will step in. Right. And there are there are more there are other districts that are in as much distress as some of these districts that receive debt relief. I think you mentioned specifically Highland Park and there being no plans to help relieve their their debt. How I, I'm I'm wondering is there any like transparency about how they made decisions about which districts would would receive this debt relief? I know there was a lot of advocacy for specific districts and and maybe not so much for others. I'm just curious what your what your thoughts are or what you've heard. I mean, that's the challenge without having a policy in place. We don't know. Observers looking from the outside in to see how our government is is functioning, we we can't tell. So Right. Uh, clearly, there were some advocates for debt relief from these communities, and we, you know, they were successful because we see the final product of uh, the communities that were left out. Uh, we don't know if their advocacy efforts were just not sufficient, or if they weren't brought into the discussions. And that's not fair to those communities, um, especially if they're very similarly situated to the communities that did see some debt relief. So you mentioned Highland Park. Highland Park in Muskegon Heights both went through the very same and at the same time state intervention process. Muskegon Heights had the entirety of its legacy debts wiped away through the state appropriation. Highland Park didn't. So that's not fair to students in Highland Park or the uh, taxpayers in Highland Park. And since the appropriation has been approved, we've heard other communities come forward. Flint has come forward and and has asked for a debt relief itself. And again, without a policy, we don't know why Flint was left off the list initially. We don't know if Flint should qualify in the future, similarly with uh, Highland Park. Right. So what, what would a more coherent policy look like? Well, I think you, you touched on it earlier, it'd be transparent. So we, we would know what the contours of it would look like, what, what what districts would qualify, what debts would qualify, where would we put the highest priority? Would we put it on helping funnel more dollars into the classroom or would we look at, you know, reducing the tax burden in those communities? In this instance, it's not clear which which of these debts have received the highest priority and without a policy, we, we don't know that. And this is important because in this instance, the the responsibility for repaying these debts have shifted from local community to the statewide taxpayer. So communities in state areas would will want to know wh- what does state debt relief policy look like? What are the limitations? What are the criteria? 
qualifications for that. So transparency, accountability. So what are the conditions associated with debt relief? What do these districts have to agree to do if they're going to get assistance from the state and debt relief? Do they have to do any operational changes? Do they have to do any budget changes? Do they have to do any reporting on what they've done with the debt relief dollars to ensure that they went to debt relief and and there wasn't some type of uh, shell game or something along those lines? I'm not saying that that that's happening here, but that's what a policy would make clear to the statewide taxpayer in this instance. Yeah, and, and that really leads to my next question, because one thing I was wondering is, So the districts have received this debt relief. Are there guarantees that that money has to go, you know, now that they're not using their operating funds to cover the debt payments, there are guarantees that that money has to go into the classroom? No, in in this instance, there are some reporting requirements, but, you know, I like to say all money's fungible. It's all green. Clearly, the debts are going to get repaid, but we don't know if the money is going to go into the classrooms, if it's going to go into administration, if it's going to go towards, you know, some other uh, spending uh, priority in the budget. So we do know the money, the, the debts will be absolved, but that'll free up some dollars and we don't know how those dollars will be programmed. Okay. And I'm also curious about you know, these are all districts that have been in financial distress for for many, many years. And for most, for the most part, these are also districts that have been losing students. Their enrollment has been declining. What is what is there that prevents them from getting back into a debt situation, an operating debt situation in the future? Yeah. Well, we do have a. As I mentioned, we have a a balanced budget requirement in our state law that all local governments have to maintain, enact, and maintain a balanced budget. The state has a system to identify early financial distress, and these districts are not immune from that. They will continue to, to fall under the the watchful eye of the state treasury department and the Department of Ed in that regard. So there are some outside assurances that you know these problems won't develop in the future and and those uh policies were developed in the last 10 years largely in response to you know a number of these districts and other districts falling into uh financial uh challenges following the the great recession so there are some guardrails through other statewide policies that are designed to prevent districts from getting into financial problems uh, in the future. Okay. What, what else do you, do you feel like people need to know about this issue? Yeah, I, I really think it's an issue of transparency and accountability. You know, the state had the, the resources, uh, one-time resources available to it. Uh, I'm, you know, the value of doing this with those resources, that's not what's in question here. It's really kind of the process and getting to that point that, you know, the Citizens Research Council thought it was worth writing about and analyzing. You know, perhaps we won't have this problem in the future that school districts won't go into financial challenges. But as we'll talk about, I'm sure, in a little bit here, we're nearing the end of of, of of some really good financial times and districts are going to be facing some ch- challenging budgeting years ahead. And the prospect of 
fiscal distress, fiscal challenges is kind of on the near horizon. So having a policy in place both to assist districts when they, you know, run into hard times, but also when the state says, okay, we're going to step in and, and relieve you of, of some of these debts. It's important for just government uh, transparency, accountability purposes. Okay, Craig. I, I think that's, that's a good place for us to, to wrap up. Thank, thank you so much for raising this issue. I hope to hear more about this um, in the future. Um, I'm looking forward to our next chat about how the population problem that Michigan is facing, something that was in the news a lot in 2023, is likely to result in shuttering more schools with a continued decades-old decline of school-aged children and the end of COVID relief dollars that have helped prop up schools. I'm Lori Higgins, Bureau Chief at Chalkbeat Detroit, and I've been chatting with Craig Thiel, Senior Analyst with the Citizens Research Council of Michigan, online at crcmich.org and on Twitter at crcmich. This is Facts Matter, a podcast presentation of the Citizens Research Council of Michigan. Thank you so much for tuning in. The Citizens Research Council of Michigan has been providing lawmakers, academics, and the media, and all Michiganders, really, with factual, unbiased, independent information on significant issues concerning state and local government, organization, and finance for 107 years. Our research is available to you. Go online at crcmich.org and on Twitter at crcmich. Download our research, check out our numerous blogs, and listen to our podcasts. And while you're there, please consider supporting our research with a donation. We rely on charitable donations for our work. This has been a Facts Matter podcast, a presentation of the Citizens Research Council of Michigan.